Feeling unqualified for ministry? Well, you're still fit, as we'll see next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Hi there, and welcome to Truth For Today, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules with our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard. We just began a series on the life of David. Today we're in 1 Samuel chapter 16, looking again at a message called, When You Feel Unqualified. Ever been there? Show of hands? <laughs> yeah, all of us. So how do we get through it? How do we get beyond that feeling, that sense of inadequacy and unqualifiedness? Answers are straight ahead. Join us. Here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's broadcast. I used to stay the summers with an aunt in Oklahoma. My uncle ran a large ranch for a bunch of Tulsa oil men. And it was a huge, huge ranch. I mean, thousands of acres. And they had, I mean, horses, cattle. And stuff. Uh, just... You know, California, just the stench was enough for me. I got homesick just when I got that first. Oklahoma, man, I went to Oklahoma. This was a barnyard. And uh, goats everywhere and animals everywhere. And to imagine that my morning task would be, go watch these 20 sheep. How long? All day, all night. How long? Seven days a week. What a way to get rid of a child. They had no babysitters. They just had sheep. Go watch the sheep. It's like that, you know, that old joke we used to hear, but I don't want to go to Europe, shut up, and keep swimming. You know, I mean, I don't want to go out and play. You're not. Go watch the sheep. And if one comes up missing, you don't eat. You know, it's this kind of insignificant. And God's got somebody out there that he's going to wait and tell a prophet, get the boy with the scraggly sheep. An insignificant, menial, unimportant, insignificant childhood chore responsibility. And David obviously did a good job at it. He did it so good he'd risk his life to save a sheep. If it was a bear, he'd risk his life. If it was a lion, he'd risk his life. Because he said in scriptures that he took care of these sheep in integrity. Now, you know what I, I think is amazing? Is uh, even after he's anointed, when Saul calls him to come to his household to play music for him and to be in his court, you know where they find David? Taking care of the sheep. Watch this. He's been anointed. He's going to be the next king of Israel. Instead of running out and publishing a call card that says, meet your next king, or going out and having his head sized for a new crown, the kid goes right back to the sheep. He should have been telling all the neighbors, I'm your next king. Didn't say that at all. He just goes right back to what he was doing, have the meeting, the spirit comes on him, the anointing takes place. He goes back. Because... Uh, God is teaching him something out there with those sheep. And it's first of all that obscure solitude with God is often the best making place of character. If you're ever going to know God well, you've got to make sure you get away from people enough. 
You can never know God with earphones on. We're in a noise-addicted culture. Cacophony goes on all the time. We've got something in the ears. We've got the TV on. How many times do I talk on the phone to someone and I hear the TV roaring in the background? How many times do you have company over so you can fight over what channel you'll listen to others talk? Wait, if you have company, please don't turn on the TV to hear these jokers talk. We're addicted to noise. David grew up in solitude and obscurity. God seems to do some of his best work in deserts. He seems to do some of his best work where there's a bunch of bah, bah, Moses out there and bushes catching fire and sheep, all of this going... Get them alone long enough. Get them out of Pharaoh's court. David, you don't need to be around the seven. I'm going to talk to you out here. You're going to study the stars. You're going to be alone with me at night. And God is often raising his great instruments in obscurity and solitude. The person who's always available isn't worth much when they are. I find that I love people, but uh, I am a wreck as a pastor and as a preacher, if I hang out with people all week. So I sequester myself about two and a half days a week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, many times. Because I don't want to read a paper. I don't want to hear music. I want to be alone with God. I want to pray. I want to read the Bible. And I want to say, speak, Lord, your servant heareth you. And I see many saints, we have switched solitude, and meditation for the poverty of a busy life. There's something else that happened in David when he was out there. God saw faithfulness with integrity. Psalm 78, 72 said, And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands he led them. Integrity means complete, whole, innocent. He saw in this boy that when he was taking care of sheep, he did it with the best he could. There was integrity involved. He must have been a good, good hand at watching sheep, but such a menial task. But God saw it, and he says it in the Psalms, that I saw him do it with integrity of heart. Uh, Thirdly, I think God saw in the boy a servant's heart. That uh, he sure not was not doing it because he was getting a lot of parental strokes and a lot of hip-hip hoorays from his brothers. I mean, when you're in solitude, the way you behave when no one is looking is the greatest revealer of what you really are. And God said, I see a servant there, my servant David, who took care of sheep with integrity. I want him to take care of my people the same way. And uh, we'll get to it in chapter 17, but there's something else about David I think God saw is private victories prepare you for public office. Nobody was around when he killed the lion. Nobody was there when he killed the bear. It was a total silent victory. Nobody knew about it. (laughs) Just he and God and the bear. And the Spirit of God came on him. I, I can't imagine. You know, Israel at this time had no iron weapons, so all the weapons he had were either stones and wood implements So how do you handle a bear as a 12-year-old boy? How do you handle a lion? I mean, there were no Nikes yet. 
He couldn't even run good. Uh, and uh, I mean, you're not going to catch me bear hunting or lion hunting. Animal world is enough for me. But we've got a 12-year-old boy out here that by the time he comes before Goliath, he said, oh, I've faced impossible situations before. I didn't need to be anointed a king to be able to trust God to kill in private areas. Private victories. Swindoll says this, it's in the little things and in the lonely places that we prove ourselves capable of the big things. The test of my calling, this is Swindoll, is not how well I do before the public on Sunday. It's how carefully I cover the bases Monday through Saturday when there's nobody to check up on me, when nobody is looking. The second thing is when God develops our inner qualities, he's never in a hurry. When God develops character, he works on it throughout a lifetime. He's never in a hurry to change you, but change you he will. We grow mushrooms within weeks, but it takes years to grow giant redwood trees. And God is tired of mushrooms. He wants to give us some oak. I would say beware today of God's visitation. He may be looking you up in this service. You may have an insignificant job. You may have come from an insignificant family. And you may be the least in that family. And there's nobody been in your life that ever thought you could amount to anything. And God may be making a visit today to Hercules. And I, as his servant, may be speaking the word that God is wanting to pay you a visit. The geography is different. The time is different. But the perils are the same. We need, we have been called to minister to a race of people that the Spirit of God has departed from them. They've been turned over to their own ways, turned over to their own sins, and they desperately need a representative for God to bring a new order of being. It's very interesting. You know what Samuel did? Josephus, the Jewish historian, said this, that that day when David came and got in the lineup, Samuel came over and he whispered in the boy's ear, you're the one. You're the one, my son. God has chosen you. Contrary to your parents, contrary to your physical stature, contrary to your age, contrary to where you are in the pecking order of your brothers, contrary to your pedigree and the Moabites back there and the ethnic uh, spot on your family records, inspired of prostitutes being back there all the way back to Perez. Young runt, the youngest, the red hair, when they called him ruddy, the debate is, did he get that in his face or the hair? But the issue is, you don't have much red hair in Bible times. So why red hair? That's why some suspect, is he related to the rest? And yet God sovereignly chose. You see, God's choice of a man or woman for salvation and service is contrary to human choosing. First Corinthians says, he chose the weak things, the base things, the things that are not. 
He chose the least likely, the unlikely, the unimportant, the ungodly. He chose them to salvation. He chooses to use them. He whispers in our ear, it's you, it's you, you're my choice. I'm going to overcome all your obstacles, all your background, and I'm going to do something mighty through you by the Spirit of God that will even surprise you. He does it all the time. Dr. Jackson, a plastic surgeon out of Glasgow, Scotland. The story comes from about 16 years ago. He, with some other doctors, made a trip to Peru, kind of like medical missionaries, to donate their services. And when they were there, some nuns brought to him a young boy that, in fetal development, had never developed a nose on his face and was just distorted. The face had not been fully developed so that the child had been left on the steps of a convent. And these nuns brought this two-and-a-half-year-old boy to Dr. Jackson. They said, can you help this boy? He said, no, I, I could not. This is the worst case so the boy just, because of no nose there, just an opening in the face, was distorted, of course, ugly. And then this, the nasal breathing, it was terrible. He said, I, I could not possibly help him here. I, you don't have the medical I could only help him in the British Isles. He went back to Glasgow, and before long, he got this telegram, we are on our way. The nuns had taken that. If we can get the boy there, you'll work on him. He never said that, but they're following through. We're on our way. And so they came to him in Glasgow. And uh, when the boy came into his clinic, the first time he saw himself in a mirror, he gasped. He'd never seen a mirror. He did not know how terrible he looked. And uh, the doctor says, would you like a nose? And the boy said, give me a big nose. I want a big nose. And so Dr. Glasgow began to work on him. And uh, in six months, the visa ran out. And the British government said he has to go home. So Dr. Jackson and his wife adopted the boy. And 80 surgeries later, he had a nose and a face. And then the boy was being interviewed after going to prestigious schools in uh, uh, the British Isles, and going into adult years, functional and doing great, and all the opportunities afforded by these adoptive parents. And someone asked him one day about his parents, and he said, my dad is the greatest man I've ever met in life. He said, he gave me a name. He gave me a face. He gave me a future. I had none of this until... He came into my life. And that's exactly what we could say until God came into our life. We didn't have a future. We could never do anything that had any great value. Oh, make, make all the money you want, Gates. What I'm doing is a billion times greater worth and value. Going to have a young man share in the 11 o'clock service that was 15 years old when this church met at Garrison School, lived across from the church, without Christ, without hope. One of our young people shared a track with him in the gospel, and he put faith in Christ. 
He walked away from Christ, became a drug addict, became a drunk. He wound up in Reading in a rescue mission, fell in there, got right with God. This week he came by the office. My wife phones me, says, come to my office. I want you to meet somebody. I go there. There's Marlon Williams. He's now 33. And Marlon said, hello, pastor. Hadn't seen him for 17 years. He said, I just had to come by and say, you were the people who loved me when I was a lost kid. I wondered. I became everything I didn't want to become, but God tracked me down in Reading, and I had to come back. I said, you've got to share it with the church. He's bringing his unsaved mother to the 11 o'clock service today and going to stand before the church and say, thanks for loving me when I was unlovely. This is what God does with the, the next king of Israel. The runt becomes the quarterback. The unlikely becomes something you could have never imagined. You just don't know what's hanging out in Hercules today. They may look like punks, rejects, kids of single-parent homes, even illegitimate. And God can pay a visit and whisper in their ear, you're my next Billy Graham. You're my next junior class worker. You're our next Awana director. You're the next generation of deacons. You're the next generation of Christians. Because when God whispers your name, and only God knew David's name, Dad didn't mention it, but they finally call him David. The beloved. That's what it means. The beloved. Another remarkable story I must uh, tell you. It's just, uh, I'll tell you later. Let me conclude and tell I need to just stop here. Remember that God's solutions for our times are simple. He always takes a person to change history. He raises up an Esther. He raises up a Daniel. And what we really need in the church today is not technology. We need somebody who has a heart for God. Somebody who wants God more than anything else, more than money, more than power, more than position, and somebody that obscurity doesn't bother them. They're not wanting a big church, a big life. They're wanting a faithful life. As a servant to God, I like to say this, God's promotions are often sudden and surprising. You never know. David wasn't looking for a promotion on that day that he's called from the field. Be prepared in your life. Who knows when God may just say, I'm going to touch you to be my next man or my next woman to do something very significant. I've been watching you in obscurity. I've been watching what you've been doing with your private hours. I know in your privacy and your obscurity, you love me. You pray to me. You write songs about me. God's visitation may come when you least expect it. It may come today. Three things God wanted in a man. The who. A willing heart humility of heart, and obedience. Obedience in little things. If you're never obedient in the little, you never need to be promoted to something bigger. Howard Hendricks used to often tell us guys in school, he said, if you're bombing out in a small sphere of influence, don't ever think God's going to expand the sphere. You got to be faithful in a little. God will make you faithful over much. There was a man in the 1400s by the name of Augustino, and the last name I'm not sure pronunciation, so I'll spare you. But Augustino was the first name. 
quite a character, a, a rowdy, a profligate, a womanizer, a thief. He was accused of stealing from the church. But he, he made boasts and claims of being an art, uh, a sculptor, an artist. But everybody knew he was a flake. But he, he was a rounder in Florence. Uh, but with all the monies that he acquired, he went out and uh, bought an expensive piece of granite because he had these grandiose ideas he was going to be a sculptor. And he went out and bought a 19-foot piece of granite that cost him quite a sum of money for those days. And he took that thing, being a novice and a, just a, a weird guy, they say he mauled the stone. He attacked it. And he just, and doing all this. And when he got through, he took this very expensive piece of stone, and he just had carved a V in it. That was it. And then he, he went on to his ways and uh, did no more. And so it became known as the Augustino lump. They took it back to like a warehouse, just put it away because it's ruined. But they thought maybe someday we'll get some use for it. And in that Augustino lump, it lay in a warehouse for years, kind of a quarry warehouse. They figured, we'll eventually have to just junk this thing, but let's watch. In 1502, there was a young upcoming artist in the town of Florence who had no money to go buy any granite. And this Augustino lump was so famous, it was the joke in town. He went to the quarry warehouse and said, let me see it. And the guy showed it to him and how it had been mauled and everything. And uh, the guy said, we'll just give it to you if you can make anything of it. Help yourself. He took the piece of granite that had been mauled. And where the V had been put in, he turned the stone upside down, or corrected, however, the maul, and he made it the legs for his statue. And when he got through... He had carved one of the world's greatest masterpieces called David by Michelangelo. You see, when you put the granite in the hands of a genius artist, he can make something out of you. I don't know who has mauled your life, your attitude, your inner man up to now. Maybe somebody's stolen the sweetest thing you ever had. Some of you are carrying around bitterness, anger, pain. And maybe you took that stroke of pain as God could never do anything with you. You're marred for anything insignificant. Well, I'm here to tell you uh, that's a lie. The real truth is when you put your life in the hands of the potter, he can take the clay that was, did not yield. And Jeremiah, when that clay, when he had to break it down, sometimes there'd be a rock in that clay and said he broke it down and he made it again. He just wants to take the rocks out of your heart, takes the lumps out of your pathway, and starts so finely to mold you into a David, a man after his own heart. It's going to be an incredible journey. Are you here today, unloved by your parents maybe? Never had a great job, always in significant places. You might be God's next David for whatever ministry he wants to do from you. I'll never be as great as a David, but I have been just as insignificant. But I heard his voice one day when I was 15. If you'll just give me your life, I can make something out of it. It's wonderful to be in the hands of a genius. 
He takes all the lorry and he can overcome it and make you more than you ever could. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our time together has come to a close here, but as we leave you, we'd like to do so with our address and phone number if you'd like to contact us, and we would love to hear from you. You see, Truth For Today airs here on KFAX in part through financial partnerships with our listeners, such as yourself. If the Lord is prompting you to make either a one-time gift or be a monthly donor, we would love to hear from you. No gift is too small. No gift is too large. Please take a moment and contact us at 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. And as our way of saying thank you for your partnership with us, we'll make you a TFT sustainer, which includes our quarterly newsletter, a once-a-year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional, into your email box every week. Again, it's all part of our TFT Sustainers Package. Contact us and learn more at 855-833-9864, or simply stop by our website, valleybible.org. And you can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. As you stop by our website, valleybible.org, please remember other resource materials are available there. Other series is taught by Pastor Phil, some of the books that he's authored. You can also find out about Valley Bible Church, who we are and what we believe, how to get here, times that we worship, and you're more than welcome to join us. Again, you'll find it all at valleybible.org. Stop by and pay us a visit. Then drop us an email and let us know you did pay us a visit. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. 